And so this morning, uh, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to address the idea of being called by God. When, when you and I talk as believers about the idea of a person being called by God, generally we think of it in terms of some great and lofty, some significant opportunity that God has placed before an individual and that he has charged them with the responsibility and even the ability to uh, undertake and discharge this epic issue. That's, I mean, that's an apt description of God's calling uh, a person to a specific role as his servant. We don't usually think of God's calling as God has called you to take out the trash and then on Thursday to take the cans down to the street, you know. But that's an important thing, too. It is. I mean, you know, it's a thing that has to be done. It's fascinating how everything in life is connected to everything else. You cannot do the big, powerful, and important things, or things that you and I look at as being big, powerful, and important, without taking care of the small, minuscule, and insignificant things. To be able to be faithful in that which is significant starts out with being faithful in things that are just kind of taking up your time. But it's a necessary issue. God has placed a calling upon every single living person. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Proverbs 1.20 tells us that wisdom calls aloud. Outside, she raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates of the city, she speaks her words. Wisdom from God is available everywhere. It's not in short supply. The really sad thing is that very few people are really listening. And calling for every different individual is custom-tailored to who people are, to the time of their life, their family and personal associations, including their abilities, and as for believers, their spiritual gifts. Romans 11.29 says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They don't go away. They don't change. This is God's calling. This is what he wants for you. God knows in advance whether people will respond to the calling that God has placed before them. He knows this before he ever calls. Not the least of which is God's invitation to faith in Christ. People people are complicated. We know from what the Bible teaches us that most of the people in this world are going to reject God's calling to salvation. The majority of the people born in this world are going to reject the truth of Christ. And then there are people that reject God for a time And then God's very patient, he's compassionate, and in the passage of time, he he wears people down. And some will begin to see the value of God's purpose and understand how our problems and avoiding of God's calling are kind of attached. When I avoid what God wants for me, I cause myself problems. I begin to see how that works. The calling of God, in the end, people... You know, what do they, they see it as doing God a favor. They're going to do God a favor and allow him to do that amazing, indescribable, perfect work for them and through them to get them to see the miracle, which is, you know, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God, folks, God has spent forever, and I mean forever, considering the very best way to incorporate your life into his master plan. He has this huge plan that includes everything. 
And he has the perfect way to include you in it, to fulfill that particular issue. He knows, you know, so many things about us that we really don't, things about our lives that we miss. And he also knows what's coming in the days ahead. He has figured the perfect way to make use of our efforts and allow it to be the greatest blessing to us and even the people that we love, people around us, people who will be touched by our decisions to follow his leading. But like so many things with the Lord, it all kind of hinges on our willingness to allow him to put the machinery into motion and to answer his call. We have to do that, don't we? Today we're going to look at the person of Joshua, specific, a little Moses, and, but mostly Joshua, a person with a very, very difficult job. And we're going to examine certain aspects of his calling and try a little bit to better understand God's purpose at work with us because we want to understand that. The book of Deuteronomy, again, fifth book of, the, of Moses, fifth book of the Old Testament. The title Deuteronomy is taken from uh, the Septuagint translation translated from Hebrew into Greek 200 years before the birth of Jesus in Alexandria, Egypt by 70 scholars. That's why it's called the Septuagint because of the 70 scholars. And uh, in Hebrew, the book is known as These Are the Words. And all the Hebrew books are pretty much known by the words that they start out with. That's the Hebrew tradition. It is the final restatement of the law of Moses, preparing the people of Israel for their campaign to take possession of God's promised land, the land of Canaan. A part of God's purpose working through Moses was to prepare the people to follow God without Moses. Now, Moses has been a fixture in Israel for 80 years. Can you imagine having a president for 80 years? Wow, some presidents, that would be bad. I mean, seriously. But Moses has been the head of the nation, leading and directing. He's been God's mouthpiece for 80 years with these people from uh, the age of actually 80, not for 40 years, uh, from 80 to 120. And here in, in Exodus 31, we have one part of the practical beginning of that process. Moses has an official inauguration of Joshua, while at the same time, explaining his exit and God's purpose through the whole thing. Again, Deuteronomy 38, 1 through 8, there are two major sections in Deuteronomy. This is the close of the second section. And we're going to look at God's purpose from four different perspectives, okay? First, verses 1 and 2, we're going to examine God's idea of how his calling upon our lives is designed for who we are today. God has called you to this day today. Secondly, in verses 3 and 4, we're going to look at some of the specifics of how God has called you to trust him. Very important thing. And this is part of your calling, specific to you. In 5 and 6, we're going to look at some of the details of how God has called you to do courageously. Courage is part of God's calling upon your life. There are things that he's called you to do that you don't feel like doing. There are things God's called you to do you're not going to feel comfortable with. And you have to be courageous to step forward and have confidence in God. Finally, in verses 7 and 8, we're going to consider some of the dynamics of how God has called you to fulfill his purpose. So first of all, 
God has called you to this day today. Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. So, verse 1, Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. This is really significant. This is a significant moment in the situation of the nation. Although Joshua's succession of Moses has been something that's been hinted at earlier a couple of different times in Deuteronomy, this really is the place where the issue is set in front of the people officially. Later on, Joshua is inaugurated before the Lord, in, actually in chapter 31, verse 14. And Moses uses the words there that Moses and Joshua were to present themselves before the Lord. That phrase, that language, only appears two other times in the Bible. One, Exodus chapter 19, verse 17, right before the Ten Commandments, when Moses goes up to receive the law from God on Mount Sinai. The other one, Joshua chapter 24 where Joshua is in the process of handing the nation's leadership over to the leaders of the individual tribes in preparation for the book of Judges. So even though Judges was a pretty terrible time, but a necessary thing. So this is an important gathering, as as important as there could be for the nation, which is, again, entering a very difficult chapter of their history. They're going to dispossess seven nations out of the land of Canaan, divide up the territory, start their own nation, seven different tribes, and start and try and maintain, because of the Lord, that unity that God intends. And so Moses has two things to say here. They start in verse 2, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. In other words, the days of my leadership are at an end. This is it. Folks, every day of your life is completely unique. It's kind of sad that you don't remember them all because you really don't. You, know, you have no idea what you were doing uh, on November 14th, 1989. I mean, you really, I mean maybe, you, maybe it's your birthday and so you do remember. But other than that, you usually don't. You know? If that's your birthday, you don't remember on the 15th what happened. You know? and, and that's the way our, But every day is totally unique. And every day is very important. Now, there's some significant days that you remember collectively, like uh, people who were born in the 50s remember where they were on November 20th, 1963. You know, everybody in this room probably remembers where they were on September 11th, 2001. Uh, And on and on and on. There's a laundry list of those things that you will be able to remember. But every single day has a significance, and they're all different. Most of you here, you know, you're going to live 30, maybe 35,000 days. In your life, that's probably, you know, if you have a good long life, that's Moses. (laughs) Moses is living 44,000 days. I don't expect that any of you will see 120. I mean, it's possible, you know, but I'm not really sure about that. Moses, let me tell you, he had some tough days. He had some very difficult days where he, you know, sat there with his head in his hands between his knees and wondered, am I going to make it out of this? Is this going to happen? What do I do? God, help me. And we all have difficult days. Every single day is different. The first three or four years of your life, you're just trying to figure out what's going on. And I mean, you know, you're using all the knowledge you have at the time, but you really don't, you know, who is this lady? What does she want? Why does she bother me all the time? You know, 
Leave me alone. And this guy, he's worse. No, uh, but seriously, you know, you're just trying to figure it out. And it could be very likely that at the end of your life, you may have a couple of years like that too. What's going on here? What am I doing? Who are these people? Um, But in between, folks, we've got an amazing opportunity. We have got a, a huge and amazing opportunity. It really is something very special, something I think it's very difficult for us to truly appreciate. God has set you in the middle of eternity for a purpose, for a very, very powerful purpose, and he wants us to take advantage of it. You know, and it all is linked to this calling upon your life. Every day of your life is different, and there are things you can do one day that you, you can't do another. For instance, you can't do at 18 what you can do at 35. And there are a lot of other factors involved in that. Sometimes you can't do at 35 always what you can do some days when you're 35. And there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. God knows all about extenuating circumstances. You know, I was in Columbia, South Carolina in 1974, five. I wanted to go out and buy some bubble gum on a Sunday. Nothing's open in Columbia, South Carolina on Sunday in 1974. I didn't know that. I couldn't do it. It was impossible. I would have to left the state. Unbelievable. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, there's a balance to this. I had somebody come up to me last service and say, you know, my, my 14-year-old was listening. He has a test next week, and he said, you said he didn't have to study for it because that's next week. No, I didn't say that. If you have to study for a text next week, you probably should study for it before next week so that when next week gets here, you're prepared. That's simple responsibility. It also teaches us the the, uh, important idea, never underestimate a teenager's ability to rationalize, especially regarding schoolwork. You can only do what you can do today. If you need to prepare today for tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, then you better do it. And there is an element in our lives where we are always preparing, isn't there? You're going to have to pay income tax in April. Sorry. Hate to bring that up, but it's true. And so you need to be about that particular perspective of preparing for that issue. And many, many, many other things as the Lord brings them to mind. And he's faithful to do that. But you need to take care of today what you can take care of today And especially not to obsess. What good does it do to obsess and work yourself into a lather because you're not able to do X, Y, and Z today? And the answer is no benefit at all. Should I be obsessed because I may not be able next week to do what I need to do? Okay. If next week comes and I can't do what I need to do, if that really happens... I have to ask myself a couple of questions. First of all, are you running the show or is God? Who's in charge here? Are you really in charge of everything in your life or is God engaged and involved and functioning and leading and directing the aspects of your... Because let me tell you, if you're running everything in your life, you better start freaking out already because you're way behind the curve. You're in a lot of trouble. I'll never forget when I received the Lord, probably about a week after I received the Lord, I realized I didn't have to worry about providing for myself financially for the rest of my life. 
And, and it, seriously, I felt like somebody had just lifted this huge weight off of my back. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. I'm God, God's going to help me find a job. You know? And sure, sometimes it was a little more difficult than I would have liked. And there was a little struggle involved in one thing and another. But from that day to this day, 40 years, God has been so faithful to provide and to care for me. If God is truly engaged and in control, then you need to have confidence that what you need to do next week will happen. Or if it doesn't, that God will have another idea and a purpose in that. If something really needs to happen and it doesn't happen, God can have a purpose in that. It's part of his plan. That's confidence in him. That's what he does. Day in and day out, week in and week out, through the lives of a thousand generations. When Moses was 80, he could lead the nation in warfare. Don't ask me how, but he could do it. Amazing. And he did it against the Amorites on the Transjordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. He can no longer do that. And it's important for him to acknowledge where he's at in his life. Acknowledging what you honestly can and cannot do allows the Lord to put the details of his plan into practice, into function in your life. It's not always about your age or your physical ability or even age-related maturity issues or financial issues. It could be the time of year, particular year of a decade, any number of countless things that are involved. And all of those countless things, folks, listen to me, they are all beyond your control. They are issues in your life to which you are subject and you cannot change or affect them. The levers of power are not in your hands. And you need to recognize the limitations to what you can do and function within, you know, the purpose that God's called you to. Ephesians 5.16 tells us we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. And days can be really evil. This is a discipline. It's something you learn how to do. And if you haven't started, you need to start. Learn how to do what you can do. The concept, it's related to the concept of bringing your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. The natural timing of issues in your life. And if you're like me, God help you, I'm sure you'd like the timing of the issues of your life to be different. I'm certain of it. This is a a concept in human reality. It's called the grass is always greener, at least in English. I'm sure every other culture has a name for it, but that's what it is. You'd always like things to be different in your life than they are. And I don't mean to imply that this is trivial. It's a serious deal. And I know for some people it's life and death. Talk about women having children. And I understand a little about that, not being a woman. You know, I, it, because it's, it's a serious business. It's very huge, you know. But I've done counseling with married couples where the wife is beside herself with grief because she had her children five years later than she wanted to. Get a grip. Get a group of you beautiful children. They're gorgeous. God blessed you with them. You've got your hands full for the next 20 years. At least, probably 40. 
But seriously, you know, when you're 62, if you're still upset you had your kids too late, we'll talk about it then. You know? But I mean, I have to be able to have some perspective on the things that are important. I'm always going to have some element of displeasure with the way that things are going forward. We, I don't know if you noticed this, I just mentioned. We live in what they call an imperfect world, which is like one of the hugest understatements you could ever hear. This place is a mess. It's a huge mess. And you're right in the middle of it. And as I can see that you got here today clothed and sane, you're doing pretty good. I mean, the whole, there's a whole world out there that's not even in your league. You're doing amazing. One of the constants with almost every person, folks, we have a terrible time as human beings being able to appreciate where we are when we're there. Okay? I can appreciate last year. When I was five, I had a great time. I'm hopeful next year things will be great. How's today? I don't know. I need to be able to appreciate where I am when I'm there, even if it's appreciating the hardship and the difficulty, because that's part of God's refining process. Hard to see that. I know, it's painful. It's something that we're always learning to do and something that God wants us to learn. Second thing that Moses shares here in verse 2b, the last part of verse, or the middle part actually of of verse 2. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. What? Wait a minute. Moses can't cross the Jordan with us? This had to be a shock to the people. Notice that there is no mention of why Moses wasn't going to be heading over into the promised land. He didn't feel like it was necessary to list the details at this point, even though Moses you know, is the most humble man in the world, according to Numbers chapter 12. There are some limitations that he didn't want to tell everybody. Because I sinned, okay? Because I made a mistake. Because I yelled at the rock and God told me I can't. So he didn't put that in. For all we know, this is the first that these people have even heard or the leaders have heard that Moses is not going with them across the Jordan. You know, we all have plans. I mean, I do. And I mean, like real plans, not crazy. You know, what if I win the lottery plans? But like normal, next week, let's do this and that or next month. We all have plans, ideas, how we think reasonably and logically things should proceed in our lives. Our kids will grow up, they'll get married, they'll have kids, stuff like that, okay? And, and we think that certainly God, <clears throat> being reasonable and logical, certainly he must want things to proceed in the same way. Imagine our shock when he doesn't. What are you doing, God? How often you say that, you know? Come home, you open an envelope. What are you doing, God? What, what on earth? Hey, when my wife and I were first married, I don't, I don't want to say we were poor. We really were. We had everything that we needed. We lived in a, uh, you know, for two years with my son. We lived in a studio apartment attached to my grandparents' garage in East L.A. for 100 bucks a month, okay? So, and we had everything that we needed. We were doing good. My wife had a Volkswagen her parents gave her, and I drove an old Fiat that I had purchased, and it had been wrecked on one side pretty badly, and it, you had to push it down the street to get it to start, and it had no reverse, had manual, Italian manual reverse, and the doors were wired shut. And I was a painter. I was working as a painter and going around painting things, and probably not very well. And uh, I'm driving down the 10 freeway one day by Longo Toyota, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if God would give me a, a truck, you know, instead of driving around the station wagon? And so for some reason, I got off the freeway, I drove over there, 
And I went looking around, and there was a, a brand new used one-year-old white Toyota pickup there. And I thought, wow. And it just it shined. You know, it's like amazing. Look at that. And some salesperson, like a shark, came out and grabbed a hold, latched onto me. What? And there I was. And he looked at me and he said, do you have a trade-in? I said, well. <laughs> I showed him. He said, how do you start it? I said, let me show you. And I got it started. He said, how does it back up? Like this. And uh, wired the door shut for him. This guy, like, he wanted to give me $500 for that car. Can you imagine? I was like, he wanted to give me $500. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, what are you doing? This is bizarre. And I thought, you know, if, if I had, which I know I don't, if I had $500, that would be $1,000. And then I could, if I had $500 in my checking account, I would believe God wanted me to buy this truck. And so to be fair to the poor sales guy, you know, they don't make a lot of money. I drove home to East L.A. to check my checkbook, which was in the house. I opened it up. You guys had 520-some dollars in my account. I was like, God wants to give me this truck. I was amazed. I was, seriously, I was, I was humbled. I wanted to cry. Why would, I had made plans, you know, someday I'm going to get some money, I'm going to buy some old beater and fix it up and a little bit at a time and make it useful and God wants to give me a brand new year old truck. You know, how amazing is that? I was blown away. Now my wife, she had a somewhat different perspective and I'll tell you why. My wife had gone to the doctor that day. She went to the doctor and lo and behold, she and me and my little son who is 18 months old, or, what, no, he's about nine months old. We're going to have, an addition to our family, she's going to have another baby. She just found out that day. And so imagine her surprise and the surprise of her mother when I showed up at their house later that evening in a brand new car. <laughs> they, were, they were surprised. <laughs> but check it out, check it out. When she told me, I'm going to have a baby, I said, I was like, yes, thank you, Lord. This is so awesome. Why? Because I knew that I knew that I knew God wanted me to buy that car. I knew. And if God wanted me to buy the car, if God directs me where God guides, he provides, he's going to provide for this whole situation. This is going to be good. Hey, three months later, I had a new job, doubled my income, and I had amazing medical insurance. We moved from that, that garage apartment in East L.A. to a nice little house in Temple City. For $500 a month, imagine that. And, and lived there for three, four years. With just God is so faithful and so good to bring those things to pass. Folks, we don't know what the future holds. We do not know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future. And you belong to him. Here in the situation, Moses knows God has a purpose. And he will himself see to the outcome. Moses knows better than most anybody that God doesn't need him. Nobody else in the whole nation of Israel may understand that idea, but Moses knows that God doesn't need him. Joshua, on the other hand, looking at this thing, could be thinking, are you sure about this? Are you really sure? I'm going to take the people and, oh, man. God's timing on the issues of life is always perfect. Maybe also problematic for us. They 
God's timing and issues are a shock to our system. But if it is the Lord, it is a shock that we need. We need that shock. Even with all the preparation and detail, God still had to take Moses completely out of the picture before Joshua gets going. Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead now, therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. All of these issues point us in the direction that God has called us to this day today and that we need to be confident. We need to trust him. And so secondly, in verses 3 and 4, God has called you to trust him. Look at verse 3. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. And you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Shihon and Og, the king of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Even though that territory, as God lays it out in Joshua 1.3, has never fully been under the control of Israel, probably closest during the reign of Solomon. In our lives, folks, we have a great many issues to which we must give attention. There's a lot of stuff going on. I so love talking to the junior high and high schoolers. And they're, in, they're just so wanting to be adults. Oh, man, I wish I was an adult. I wish I was a grown-up. Nobody could tell me what to do anymore. Man, he told me, go to bed, get up, eat your dinner. I don't like that sweater. I mean, on and on and on. I just wish I was an adult, you know. And I'll never forget my daughter came to me when she was 19. She says, man, it really stinks being an adult. And I said, that's, that's right. It does. You know, not only do you still have people telling what to do every day of your life, there are 8,243 new things that you have to take care of instead of just five. Yeah. Now, responsibilities, priorities, accountabilities. The first thing, our very first priority, is that we need to follow the Lord in sincerity as best as I am able to. Why? Because that translates into everything else in my life. Without the Lord, I am no good to anyone. I'm no good as a husband. I'm no good as a father. I'm no good as a grandfather, employee, pastor, person. Without God, I am pretty worthless. In fact, honestly, without God, I'm a part of the problem. I'm a bent human being going to create problems in other human beings. Which means that I have to follow the Lord. Here's the question. Do I understand that? Do I understand that not being engaged with the Lord in my life makes me worthless as a human being? Makes me worse than worthless. My calling is to follow God, which means I'm to function according to His plan, to engage myself as best as I can figure it out. It's not always that easy. From time to time, it takes some adjusting and, you, it, you know... The things that God does in your life and the way that it works is sometimes awkward. I admit it. You know, it's, it's difficult. And sometimes are worse than others. 
but it's, it's temporary. I heard a great thing on a, a Bible study the other day from Pastor Chuck Smith. He was talking about a lady that went to church in the fellowship he was at, and, um, and uh, she was going through terrible, terrible trouble, real difficulty, hardship, financial difficulty, family problems, sickness, all kinds of things. And uh, she, she got a particular verse from, I think, the Gospel of Matthew, like chapter 2, verse 6. And she got so excited. She's like, yes, this is so awesome. Thank you, Lord. And the pastors happened to know what the verse was. And it says, and it came to pass that at a particular time, they took a census and uh, jo- Joseph went to his home in Bethlehem. And, and he said, well, I'm sorry, why did you get so excited about that verse? And she said, because it said, and this too shall pass. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. The hardships and the difficulties of our lives are temporary, folks. Very temporary. God has a purpose. The, the, you know, the life that we lead here is a limited series of interrupted disturbances. The thing is, is that we need to be less enamored of our own ideas and more open to God's purpose. And that's an important thing. But also, no matter what the situation is, I have to remember I'm never alone. I am following God. I am following him. Notice here, God is the one that actually does the heavy lifting in verse 3. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. Which, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't mean that I won't obsess and complain and whine until he gets it done. I probably will. Men do that also, even though they're a little bit more quiet about it. Just because the battle belongs to the Lord doesn't mean that we don't have some responsibility. We do. And it says there in verse 3, and you shall dispossess them. So God's going to do the heavy lifting. I have responsibilities. Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. The still the horse has to do his part. Ephesians 2, 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Notice, we don't have to walk in those good works that God's prepared, but we should. And let me, let me ask you, who is going to benefit if I walk in the works that God's prepared? I am. The people around me, everybody in my life is going to benefit if I do what God's called me to do. And he's prepared these works. It's in our best interests. And again, you're not out there by yourself. Look at the end of verse 3. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord himself has said. The song says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus provides a way. It's interesting how Jesus corresponds with Joshua because it is the same name, isn't it? Jesus is Greek. Joshua is Hebrew. And what does the name mean? Anybody? God is salvation, right? Absolutely right. And that's, that's the idea here too. God is salvation. I'm not my own salvation. No other person is going to save me. God is salvation. But yeah, sure, but I need somebody here with me, somebody that I can see. God knows that. He understands. God has provided and called other gifted people to go along with you. But you have to be engaged in the body of Christ, folks. Well, yeah, I go to church. No, you have to be engaged 
Going and sitting in a building for an hour a week is not being engaged with the body of Christ. And I realize there's, you know, there's a, probably a couple of crazy people here at church. Okay, maybe there's more than a couple. You know, all right, maybe some of them stand up in front. I don't know. But, but the point is this. Being engaged, I cannot tell you, every time I come to this place, something good happens to me. It really does. I'm serious. I can't tell you, mostly because I don't remember, how many times I'm struggling with something at home or thinking about an issue or troubled or worried or concerned about X, Y, and Z. And I'll come to church and I'll just be walking around doing this or that, making small talk with people. And somebody will come up to me and go, you know, I was just talking to the Lord today and he spoke to me about this. And I'm like, really? And he gave me this scripture. Really? And, and, and God just speaks to me and provides direction and encouragement and help to be hopeful concerning the issues of my life. Do these people know what's going on in my life? No idea. No. Absolutely not. The Lord is doing it. You have no idea the power that the fellowship of the body provides by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And if you're out there watching over the Internet, just because you don't feel like getting out of bed and coming to church, God help you. You are not engaged with the church. You need to be engaged and functional. God has called you. He's gifted you. You are cheating the body of Christ. I don't want to make you feel bad. Too bad. Maybe a little. You are cheating the body of Christ from the benefit that you really offer as a person. And, and that's, that's important. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So important. And yes, these people are trustworthy and they do have references. Look at verse 4. The Lord will do to them as he did to Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. In the whole destruction of Egypt, in the campaign in Canaan, the war with the two Amorite kings kind of gets lost in the shuffle. This is a big deal. These two guys, Og and Shehan, the king of uh, Bashan, these Amorite kings, the Canaanites continually point to those issues as the things that caused them to lose all hope because the children of Israel destroyed both of them in the, the Transjordan on the east side of the Jordan River. We need to be confident in God's ability, folks. We need, he will provide who and what we need. He has quite an extensive track record, even in your brief life. He's done some amazing things. What makes you think he's going to stop? God has also called us to do courageously because not everything God has called us to do is going to be easy for us. There are things that are difficult. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God has shown me I will not be going across the Jordan, says Moses. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to give to their fathers. Now, Joshua, God is commanding Joshua to destroy these nations. And this is the command. Now, the scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the purpose of the commandment 
is love. How does that work? Folks, love, under certain circumstances, is the activity of protecting the object of God's affection. Okay? When there is no alternative, we are left to drastic measures. Keep in mind, the love of God motivated the flood of Noah and destroyed every living being on the face of the earth with the exception of eight people. You have to remember a couple of things, and this is very important because if you operate this idea according to human logic, you're going to wind up in a dead end. If you go onto a college campus and and operate this argument according to their rules, you're toast. There's no way. First of all, God, according to the teaching of the scripture, deals with every single human person that has ever lived in the history of this world one person at a time with perfect knowledge about their every moment, their every thought, their every action, and he deals with them in perfect justice, never missing a step. Second, physical death is not the end for people. In a humanist culture, physical death is unthinkable because you've just taken everything there ever was, is, or could be about that person. Not true. Absolutely untrue. Physical death is not the end for people. In some ways, it's just the beginning. When you see an innocent child taken from this world, you have no idea of the pain, hardship, and suffering that God has saved them from. And so when you see this across the world, innocent children die. Ten months old, they're gone. You know, And people come up to you and say, how could God allow this? Hey, God just did one of the greatest things in the world. He just took that kid out of the place, the house of pain where you live, and he removed them to the safety of his care. What a wonderful thing he's done. Are any of them going to be able to understand that? No, because they cannot make heads or tails out of the truth of Scripture. Remind yourself from time to time about what you don't know. It's very important. As to the people of Canaan, Joshua chapter 6, verse 21 says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, this is a reference specifically to the destruction of Jericho. In Jericho, the family of Rehob and her father's household was spared. Later, the whole kingdom of the Gibeonites was spared in Joshua chapter 9. We know that it took some time to conquer the land, and there was a lot of opportunity for some of the people to assimilate into Israel like like who? Like Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men, who also unfortunately met with an untimely death. A guy named Arnah, the Jebusite, lived in the area of Jerusalem, actually sold King David the threshing floor, his threshing floor, in Jerusalem, which is today the Temple Mount, Mount Zion. And if you go with Xavier in in May to, uh, to the trip, you'll be able to see it in person. So God is not inhibited to be able to work in this process to save or to judge as he chooses. But why is the destruction against these nations, these seven nations, why is it so severe? Because in some places they don't kill the animals. In just about every city they kill men, women, and children. In some places they save the animals alive. Leviticus chapter 18, very important. In Leviticus chapter 18 there's a a lengthy instruction to the children of Israel regarding sexual immorality, okay? And it starts off with incest. 
of every possible consideration. And not always with regard to physical contact. It also extends to a prohibition of seeing people unclothed. Now, I had somebody ask me after last service, what about changing of diapers? Hey, if I'm a doctor and you're sick and I have to take your clothes off to help you, that's perfectly within God's realm of proper and conduct and, and, and act. What we're talking about here is deviant conduct. And, and we're not stupid. Five-year-olds understand deviant conduct. They're not confused when somebody's not doing what is right, and neither should we be. So from there it goes on, again back in Leviticus 18, to improper marriage, a person marrying a woman and her sister, uh, the dealing with customary impurity, your, uh, the, the idea of approaching your neighbor's wife, and specifically mentions uh, the worship of Molech, whose rights were very sexual in nature, and whose rights also allowed for and included the disposal of children, what we would call today unwanted pregnancies. Only in that day, they sacrificed living children on altars to Molech. Uh, today, it's a lot cleaner process. We don't have to see any of these things or hear about it. Or... Then it moves on from there to homosexuality and then to bestiality, okay, which is the progression. This is how these things work. When you take all the rules out and there's no such thing as a rule, then people do whatever and they do. In verse 24 of Leviticus 18, listen to what it says. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all of these things, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Speaking of the seven nations. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. Do you ever look at pictures of city of cities from space, from like the space shuttle or some other capsule pictures of it? Doesn't it look like there's this fungus growing on the edge of the, by the, you know, some kind of disease or something right there on the peninsula? And what is it? It's a city. It really is. It's some kind of disease. And it's, it needs to be healed. And, and God's going to heal it in his timing. It's bizarre. These, these people in Canaan, they're not abominations. These people in Canaan are not abominations. They are created in the image of God. These people are beautiful. The things they have chosen to do are abominations. And unfortunately, they have become one with the things that they have chosen to do. And they identify themselves with these abominations. They are attached to their abominations. A few facts. Many children that are sexually victimized at an early age develop what is known as multiple personality disorder. I have a question for you. Multiple personality disorder. Is it purely psychological or could there be a supernatural component to this issue? There's also the contagious disease component of these kinds of activities, which people in Israel would not have understood. They didn't understand microbes and germ warfare, any of those things, viruses. But God understood all of that, didn't he? Because he created it. What about the animals? Why do we need to kill the animals? You guys, animals do not, as people do, have spirits, but they do have souls. 
Animals have souls. They have personalities. They have understanding. They learn activity. They learn brutality. They learn submission. And maybe they learn other kinds of activities as well. Not to mention the communicable disease component of the animal issue as well. But remember, God's promise cuts both ways. In Leviticus 28.26, he says to the Israelites, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either you from your own nation or any stranger who dwells among I don't care if they're non-believers. They shall not do these things. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations who were before you. Now I have to ask you a question as concerning ourselves here in 2017. Our sophisticated and elevated perspective, our learned and uh, amazing culture in which we live. I mean, we're obviously, we're not nearly so primitive as Moses. Are we operating on borrowed time here? Are we in a lot of trouble? whether we know it or not, and most people don't know it. If the Bible is the word of God, we're in a lot of trouble. I have no reason to think that the Westfield Baptists or the King James only people spewing out hatred and and curses at the people of this world are going to hold back the judgment of God. They're not going to fix the situation. But we understand the Lord's direction to the people. He says, be strong. You've got to cleanse this land. Back in the days of Abraham, actually in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, your people are going to go to Egypt for 400 years and then come out because the iniquity of the Amorites is yet not complete. God knew where these people were going and they have arrived. They have arrived there. Be strong, folks. Encourage yourself in the strength that God has provided you. Maybe you don't have a lot of strength, but you have some. And you need to encourage yourself in the strength God has given you. Have courage. Proverbs 31 says of the godly woman, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Recognize that what you have is good. Identify it. It's not a matter of discussion. And then add some horsepower to it. Put your foot on the gas. Do not fear. Why does God tell us not to fear? Because we do. Sometimes in terrible ways. Why does God tell Joshua so many times not to fear? In Joshua chapter 1, we have God telling Joshua not to fear 10 times in 5 verses. All the way through to Joshua chapter 23, where basically he says the same thing. Therefore, be very courageous. Keep to do all that is written in this book of the law, lest you turn aside to the right hand or the left, lest you go among the nations who remain among you, and you shall not make mention of their name, their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. That's Joshua 23, 6, 7, and 8. And I think, you know, this is something we as believers need to take to heart. When do I go to the movies and I'm really conflicting what I believe by the things that I observe and that I am entertained by? When do I listen to music and I am 
contradicting the things I believe by what I do. When do I play video games? Which for me, of course, would be never. But people do play video games a lot. It's a billion-dollar industry. And when do you play a video game and you're contradicting what you believe and what you hold to be true by the conduct that you have? Examine yourself. Hey, listen to me. I'm not trying to cramp your style. What I'm telling you is build your house in one direction. Believe what you believe and then believe it and do it. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's your life. What you do with your life, what you invest your life in is going to pay dividends. We want them to be good things. We want the dividends to be good. Did Joshua have a problem with fear? I don't know. We do. There are times where I fail to speak the word of God, not because I'm afraid somebody's going to jump me or strike me down or take my life. No, I'm afraid people are going to think I'm not cool. Oh, my. Newsflash. I'm not cool. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's interesting. When I became a Christian, I wanted to get a haircut, you know. And I went into a barber I'd never visited before and asked him for a haircut. And wow, he gave me a haircut. This guy, I don't know if he had a vendetta, if he didn't like young people. I don't know what it was, but I walked out of there with a haircut. And I, and I looked at myself and I was like, you know, and I, I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I kind of liked, I'd spent so much of my life trying to be so cool for so long. And I was so glad to be free of it. You know, and people kind of stared, but it was awesome. I'm not cool. I don't have to be cool. Don't let the enemy chase you around with stupidity. He knows it's stupid. The cool people of the world wake up every morning and wish they were dead. I've been cool. It's not there. It doesn't exist. The most powerful, the most powerful encouragement any person could ever have is the concrete knowledge of the absolute truth that God is with you. There is nothing better There is nothing better than knowing that God is with you. You are walking with him. But the question is, do you believe it? Like we said last week in Psalm 46, he is a very present help in trouble. You are not, as it seems, out here on your own. The end of verse 6 says, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He's not going anywhere. You can be confident that you You must be confident. You don't have to make a lot of noise about it, but it is the foundation of who you are and everything that you do, the confidence that God is with you. Without that understanding, I cannot fulfill the purpose that God has called me to. And in verses 7 and 8, God has called you to fulfill his purpose. Moses called Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord your God has sworn to their fathers to give to them, and you shall cause them to inherit it in the Lord. He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. After the death of Moses, God emphasizes the importance of his word to Joshua. Be strong in, in Joshua 1.7. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, folks, at some point it's about the finish line. And your life is a thousand finish lines. But the one that we're really focused on is, is called glorification, being present with the Lord. When we're changed, we're out of this world, we're done. And I, I'm pretty sure in eternity we're going to have a lot more finish lines, a lot more things to do. We're going to be busy. But at the moment, it's about that particular finish line. From our perspective, there are a lot of little ones, probably more than we'd like. God's purpose at work for Joshua though he may not have known it at this point, was for Joshua to be accountable to the nation. He has a responsibility to the people. Moses presents him to the people. He has to be responsible to them. He's got difficult days ahead. God is very gentle with us. It may not seem that way at the time, but if you look at the big picture, as you look back, God prepares people for difficult things. You know, the Great Depression prepared the United States and the Western world for World War II. It's absolutely necessary. Was it hard? Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. But very necessary. God has a serious task for Joshua. And he's been through some serious education. Exodus chapter 17, is he gets on the scene and all the way through the wars and up to this point at crossing the Jordan River. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Joshua, together with the high priest Eleazar, are going to bring the nation into the, into the land that God has promised to them and distribute it to the tribes, prepare them for the time of the book of Judges, which is going to be also very difficult. God's authority rests upon him, but he's also responsible to the people. Now, that doesn't mean that he can be fired. You know, some odd guy from the tribe of Naphtali go up there and say, Joshua, you're fired. You're doing a lousy job. He's accountable to the people, but he's accountable to God. Accountability to people is, is good, but without accountability to God first, it's, it's meaningless. You have to have accountability to the Lord. Very important. Joshua is going to be disciplined. He's got to be able to get out of his own way, meaning when he makes mistakes, he's got to get past them. Has a problem, the defeat at the Battle of Ai. 36 people die. Why? Because the children of Israel partake of the, the accursed thing. A guy named Achan of the family of Carmi, of the tribe of Judah, steals some gold and silver and hides it, and Joshua has to see to it, take care of it. A little bit later, they bump into these people who are the Gibeonites. They say, you know, we're, we're from a far distant country. Three days later, they bump into their town. They say, well, you're not far in distance, but they made an agreement with them. They stick to it. We all make mistakes. The only person who doesn't make mistakes is the person that doesn't do anything. Joshua is called to stand before the nation. Does that make him more important than everybody else? And the answer is no. He may be a strategic person, but keep in mind, folks, everybody can be replaced. Everybody has an important part in the body, but everybody can be replaced. Some parts may be more strategic for a a, a time, but any, any person can be replaced. Without the battery, the car doesn't run. Of course, nobody buys the car for the battery, do they? Even a Prius. You don't buy it for the battery. There's only one focal point, and that focal point is the Lord. You can't do 37 things at one time, not with any real competence. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is the Lord. We keep him in the picture where he belongs, 
We want him, his presence, and his word, and his purpose to dominate our landscape. And he will keep us right where we belong. And that is fulfilling his purpose and his calling, calling for each and every one of us, and bringing us to that finish line, probably sooner than we think. God has called you to this day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God has called you to trust him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God has called you to do courageously. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And God has called you to fulfill his purpose. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to that what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He will do it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for being here with us today. We thank you for your word. And Lord, the way that you are able to breathe life into us through the word of truth. We pray for your blessing. Lord, you know the things that we're dealing with, the struggles before us, and Father, our desire just to see your purpose revealed. And Lord, we don't, we don't know what that is sometimes. We need your help. We need your guidance and understanding and wisdom. Guide us as your servants, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, make us a blessing to others, Lord. Make us an encouragement to those who are struggling. And Father, strengthen us to do your will day by day by day. We love you. If we're all praying together, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have any doubt about your eternity, God has brought you to this service today to receive Christ, to commit your life to him as personal Lord and Savior. And if you are inclined to do that, I want to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. I'm going to pray this prayer. If you want Christ as your Lord, you want him to direct your life, you want him to guide you. He wants to do that. Repeat this prayer after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and change my life. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.